Hello, my friends, and welcome to Season 2 of the Land and Money Podcast. My name is Adam Gates. I am an architect in San Antonio, Texas, and this show is part of my journey to becoming a great architect, uh, where Season 1 was recorded as an appendix to a local housing event I was part of with ULI San Antonio. Um, season 2 really begins to open up to a greater variety in guests and topics and lines of inquiry. It's got a little bit different tone. Um, I'm talking to people from different places uh, that I've met on Twitter or through other professional functions. I don't have a set format or overarching theme really the way we did in season one. So this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it uh, as much as you did season one and you stick with me. As for pre-episode sponsorship notes, I don't have any sponsors yet. Um, I would like to, if you're interested in being a sponsor, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, anywhere you need to. Uh, But I do owe a deep debt of gratitude to my friends and colleagues in the Urban Land Institute in San Antonio for their support, their encouragement, uh, and their participation. That's where I'm meeting a lot of the guests that you're going to be listening to. Uh, And also, I owe a debt of gratitude to all of you for listening and uh, giving me and my voice and my guests uh, a little bit of your time. So uh, thank you all very much as well. In this first episode of Season 2, I'm talking to a local developer named Peter French. Uh, Peter works in a variety of capacities in the development space, but specifically today, I'm talking to him in his role as Director of Development for a local company called Gray Street. Um, The reason I'm starting with this episode is because it's somewhat time sensitive. Um, This episode was recorded within days of an announcement that a big development called the Lone Star development here in San Antonio was up for sale. A lot of articles being published, not a whole ton of information or commentary, uh, It's probably an exaggeration to call it a hot topic, but it is a topic of interest. Um, This particular development, as you'll learn in the show, has been up for development and resold and up for development and resold several times in the last 10 years or so. And so I want to start with this episode because that topic is fresh on everybody's minds and to provide some extra context for what's going on there uh, from the director director of development himself. So without further ado, uh, what follows is my conversation with Peter French, the director of development for Gray Street regarding the Lone Star Brewery development in San Antonio. I hope you enjoy it. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the show today. This is a real treat. We're joined by Peter French, the Director of Development for Gray Street Partners here in San Antonio. Peter French, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Adam. Really pleased to be here. So you and I talked a little bit beforehand that between all of the things that you're involved in, from Rising Barn to Gray Street and um, you know some of your work uh, elsewhere in Central Texas, you're kind of operating at every possible scale of real estate, ex- except like maybe dog houses, but like everything else you pretty much got covered. Um, I really want to hear that a little bit about that story and who you are and where you came from. Uh, and then uh, really kind of focus in on 
a project that's kind of dear to me, the uh, Lone Star District on the south side of San Antonio. Uh, I own, I'm building a house a few blocks away. So uh, this is an important one for me. But to start out, tell us who Peter is, man. Who are you? How'd you get to where you are? And what do you do? Sure. So uh, let's see, native of uh, Ohio, um, met my wife in uh, high school up in New Hampshire of all places and made my way down to San Antonio, uh, Trinity alum, um, go Tigers, and uh, actually had a real estate internship when I was uh, at Trinity um, with the Lincoln Property Company back in the day. You know, it's small real estate world and things come full circle. We're working with JLL on uh, on this Lone Star uh, District offering, which we'll talk about obviously in detail later, but Chuck King was one of the principals of the Lincoln office back in the day. And, um, you know, just kind of funny how that all works. Uh, went into brokerage uh, out, of, uh, out of Trinity, moved to Houston, did that for a couple of years. Um, uh, one of the projects there uh, was an adaptive reuse of a couple of office buildings in downtown Houston. And that really whet my appetite for development um, and gave me a clear sense that uh, the transactional side of, of brokerage was uh, just, you know, much less interesting to me than uh, the actual building something and um, seeing projects come to fruition. So had the opportunity to move to Central Texas uh, to work on a 2,200 acre uh, new urban development called Plum Creek. Um, so moved from Houston to Kyle, Texas, which had a population of about 5,000 at the time. That's a little bit of a culture shock, but uh, uh, it was pretty neat. That was real true town building, you know, Greenfield, uh, T&D and very small development company and got to be involved in, you know, all aspects of that, um, including, you know, being the president of the Kyle Chamber of Commerce is like a 25 or six year old, you know, guy. I mean, it was really fun. It was just, you just, just dive right in and, um, you know, build a place uh, that definitely, you know, wet my appetite for uh, placemaking, new urbanism, um, doing things differently, you know, and also taking a long-term perspective and, um, you know, gave me an insight into the sort of golden rule from my perspective on real estate development and particularly, you know, infill urban, um, which is, you know, you're adding value uh, to the property around you. And uh, from an investment standpoint, you're going to be best served if you have an interest in that surrounding property. Um, but also understanding, you know, the nuance of how communities work, what their role is, um, and from a pro and con standpoint on, uh, on development and uh, sort of informed what I did uh, going forward. You know, a couple of other things. So, the, you know, Rising Barn you mentioned, which is fun, uh, a little bit on the back burner right now, but uh, infill, you know, accessory dwelling unit, uh, infill housing, you know, there's still an opportunity there, which I uh, think about often and, and frequently, you know, that market's just, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And the opportunity, particularly in light of all the need for affordable housing uh, is still there. I know I'll, I'll you know, go back and touch on that at, uh, at some point. Um, you know, started a couple of other uh, infill ventures, real estate fund, uh, worked with a couple of other groups doing value add, you know, acquisition, helping 
third-party uh, out-of-town developers navigate San Antonio's kind of intricate and interesting uh, development scene and uh, ultimately found my way over to Gray Street. Um, it's been five-ish years over there and, uh, you know, we're very small investment management company, um, parking, office, retail, uh, some development projects and uh that's a lot of fun you know it's a very as i said it's a small group it's an aggressive group um ready access to capital which has uh, created some really exciting opportunities for us and um you know it also is a change of pace for me i'm kind of the old guy over there uh which is uh uh which is sort of fun but uh that's my ramble <laughs> that's awesome so Gray Street's got plenty of things to talk about, uh, some of which, just to touch real quick, because it'll be it'll become relevant later, um, the Broadway East project, I believe it's called, uh, mm -hmm. across Broadway from the Pearl, um, yep. another large development, huge land acquisition there in the Government Hill neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, some from private owners, some from the San Antonio Independent School District. Um, few years ago, some beautiful renderings came out about, you know, what that could and should look like in the future. I would imagine that there's some financial models uh, behind those renderings as well uh, as a proof of concept on the financial side. And a little while back, it came out that uh, Gray Street was going to sell um, or had sold. I can't remember what the when I saw it. Um, but shortly thereafter, and it, at the time, it was like, you know, oh, bummer. Um, but it didn't take a couple of months after that for dirt to start moving. Uh, and so I am I know that it all that to say, I know it's not a Gray Street project anymore. Uh, but that one's been on my radar, obviously, because it's so big and, and central to the city that it's really cool to see that to see that groundwork that you guys laid starting to move around and things are starting to happen. Um, but as much as I'd love to talk this whole time about Broadway East, uh, I'm really interested in the Lone Star development. Um, everybody, if you want to check this out and follow along as you're listening to this, you can go to LoneStarDistrictSA.com and all of the renderings and maps and everything are there. But as I understand it, you, you can give an actual history of this thing. Um, from my experience, the Lone Star, not just property itself, but Lone Star Boulevard, the spot across the street. I mean, it's just been this sort of like big, looming, dark, shadowy thing, right? You know, uh, sun goes down, it's dark outside. I don't think, I don't know if there's any lights on Lone Star Boulevard. Um, and so on the one hand, it's kind of this big, um, oh, I guess important thing. It, this is an old brewery site. So uh, built in the, you can tell us the exact number. I think it was built in the 60s as a as the new brewery location for Lone Star Beer. Um, I don't know when they moved out of it. Peter can tell us that. But since then, it's just been, again, this sort of shadowy hole with a, you know, industrial steel site next door nothing across the street and the san antonio river running right across the side so um you and your partners and your team 
know a whole lot more about it and see a whole lot more in it than just that dark shadowy corner um so give us a little bit of history about about the lone star um maybe some history of the deals that have come and gone and what your vision is and what do you guys see this project is becoming sure um so actually the uh the sabinus uh brewing company which was the original brewer there uh construction started or maybe brewing brewing or construction started in 33 1933 so just after prohibition uh so the original brew house uh dates back you know kind of has these art deco elements but uh all the way back then and then you know interestingly um it was sort of build a building a year or more often as needed as the as the brewery operations grew uh, ultimately, it became, you know, the Lone Star Brewery. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it just was expand, expand, expand. The whole site's about 32 acres. Um, you know, obviously river frontage and, you know, the San Antonio River, uh, the Mission Reach, you know, obviously that has changed in character dramatically uh, over the decades. And, you know, certainly from our standpoint and thinking about the future of the Lone Star site, um, whereas, the river was, you know, a an afterthought from brewing operations. Of course, access to water was very important, but it was not an amenity uh, per se. Right. For us, um, you know, it's the front door. It's the show. You know, right. the, the river and the connection to the missions and all the other things, um, which were not relevant for brewing operations, um, are you know highly relevant for us and changed the whole dynamic, you know, of the site and the area. Um, brewing went through 96. Um, so, you know, it was shuttered in 1996, you know, and as you described has been a sort of this hulking shape. We kind of jokingly say it's still a mixed use site, but those uses are probably, you know, not so much on the up and up. Uh, no. And, uh, you know, find uh, all kinds of interesting things walking, you know, walking through those buildings. Um, uh, yeah, lots of interesting things. Uh, um, so, you know, the the development opportunity, and this is a sort of a larger statement about San Antonio, which is sort of interesting and speaks to the investment thesis for Gray Street, which is um, we have less competition here than in other Texas metros and most other, you know, U.S. metros. Uh, for an interesting combination of reasons, um, primarily having to do with, you know, what we often read about the sort of inequality, um, the, you know, income levels in San Antonio, I mean, put another way, the poverty levels yeah. in San Antonio, of which this, you know, site uh, sits in District 5. It has least access to broadband, lowest incomes, highest poverty. I mean, it is, um, it is a challenged area from an economic standpoint. And that is something that you need to be, you know, cognizant of going into uh, a development opportunity. Um, and, um, you know, think about how you can not just drop a spaceship into an area, but do something that, uh, uh, that is able to integrate with the community um, around it, but understanding that no matter what you do is gonna be the source of massive change. Yes. Uh, but that you have 30, you know, that you have an opportunity to have a 32 acre 
uh, entitled area, you know, surrounded by all the, all, you know, the, the upside is, of course, all the art and culture and great things that happen in the Lone Star neighborhood itself, in the Roosevelt area, in Lavaca, in King William, you know, UNESCO World Heritage, the missions. I mean, I'm obviously fast forwarding in this storyline, um, but we see tremendous opportunity there. Now you have the interesting things happening at Brooks and Kelly. Um, and so you have this sort of string of pearls with, you know, the shadow of downtown, uh, the connectivity of the river, the opportunity for these cultural amenities and this void uh, looking more from a real estate perspective in the commercial opportunity for retail, for office, for housing um, that has access uh, to both of those things. It's really a jumping off point to explore, uh, you know, the UNESCO area for south side of San Antonio uh, and, um, and, you know, in downtown going north. Um, so, you know, we looked at all those and have been tracking those demographic um, and sort of, you know, social, you know, what, what are, you know, what are the factors that could contribute to great placemaking? Sure. Uh, and this Lone Star site being 32 acres has been on our radar for a long time. And then, you know, again, in the funny sort of small world, how things work, basically 10 years, almost uh, to the day, but certainly to the month from when we closed on the site in May of 20, um, 10 years before that, I'd been down there poking around uh, sorry, uh, 2020. Um, I'd been down there, you know, looking with an earlier uh, developer, uh, somebody who'd had the site under contract who'd invited me to come and, and take a look at it with him. And um, he turned out not to be, you know, the guy who was ultimately going to do the project, but sure. it's been on our radar for a, for a very long time. You know, and then just to fast forward again, what was interesting too, is we uh, looked at the deal um, is that everyone in town has been looking at the deal and everyone, you know, all the consultants, you know, all the architects, all the engineers, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of work on this and we were able to take advantage of that uh, when we, when it came time for us to revisit the master plan. So we obviously, obviously want to jump more into how these opportunities are being realized, but can you speak a little bit to the challenges because as you mentioned not the first ones to come in and uh want to do something with this right I'm, I'm sure that ever since the plant closed in 96 the site itself has just been a money suck uh probably an environmental disaster to a certain degree i mean there are all kinds of problems and forget entitlements and everything else um lots of sort of literal and figurative physical and paperwork messes to clean up at, ver at very least. And that's kind of just a guess, but everybody's, but everybody before you has run up against some kind of roadblock or major challenge that's actually kept anything from happening here. Me and my friends actually joke that like, you need some, you need some, old old grandmothers and curanderas to go out there and like bless the site somehow because there's just there's something going on here <laughs> you know um and you know echoing what you said as things start to get more active down here it becomes easier to look at this thing and see a missed opportunity 
especially after the Pearl, mm-hmm. right? It's because you kind of either end of downtown forever. You had these um, derelict old brewery sites. There were just kind of scars on the fabric of communities. And I think once Pearl started to started to happen, pretty easy to look down at the Lone Star Brewery and go, hey, what gives? What's going on? You know, what's going on down here? So all that again to frame up this question, um, what are the challenges that have plagued this property for the last 25, 26 years? Sure. Um, you know, you know, to your point about it, if, if it looks obvious, um, even things like the Pearl, you know, only look obvious in, in hindsight. Um, and the transformation of that area in the last 20 years has been remarkable. Um, but it's, it's not a stretch to say that, you know, in 2000, even in 2010, um, there were people in the real estate community in San Antonio who would tell you with a straight face that urbanism was not a thing that was going to happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, we were suburban growth only. And uh, these urban trends were for other cities and they just, that was just not going to be part of what happened in San Antonio. Um, the, you know, the difficulty and the challenge um, of Lone Star, uh, you know, a couple of things. One, growth has predominantly marched north, you know, and this is a thing that happens in lots of places, um, but you have several different poles. You have, you know, the ease of suburban development, um, public investment in, you know, loop land infrastructure, uh, the pull of Austin, you know, Bernie, you know, the sort of flight uh, from in town to out of town. Um, You know, all those things happen on the other side of town. And, you know, disinvestment, uh, which we've seen you know, which happens on the east side, on the west side, and on the south side, has been story one, two, and three, with a couple of, you know, notable exceptions, but they're mostly notable exceptions on the industrial or manufacturing side, you know, Toyota, um, you know, big, big story for the south side, you know, the redevelopment of Brooks, um, but again, that's not, uh, that's not large scale, you know, urban land development. You talked about the environmental issue um, and the surrounding, you know, industrial sites and uses, you know, the uh, railroads, um, CPS power plants, you know, you just had a bunch of stuff uh, immediately around this site that made you go, eh, if I have a choice of where to put my dollars, uh, this does not necessarily seem like a safe bet. Right. You know, the, going backwards to, you know, what NRP was able to do. Um, at uh, at Ceballos, uh, what Lifshoots was able to do at Blue Star and then Big Techs, uh, you began to see, you know, larger investment opportunities as being a thing that could happen and be successful uh, on the South Side that weren't, strictly speaking, public-private public uh, opportunities. But, you know, um, the scale of Lone Star I mean, if, you know, talking specifically about why it didn't work previously, you had timing, you know, something that I've learned the hard way um, 
uh, <laughs> is you can have all the right ideas and the right plan and the right site. You know, everyone says the, the rules for real estate are location, location, location. Mm -hmm. Well, the asterisk to that is location timing, location timing, location timing. So you can do all the right things. And if you're doing it at the right time, it's the wrong thing. Right. You know, I could give a little color commentary about, you know, Broadway East and that and that storyline in COVID and, a, you know, a totally unpredictable sure. uh, timing issue that uh, that was a challenge to that deal. But for Lone Star and for the would-be developers who came before us, there was, you know, timing, timing got them. The market wasn't ready. Uh, their capital wasn't ready. You know, predominantly the market wasn't ready. Um, you know, you had uh, seller financing uh, that was, you know, a couple of the would-be developers before had very loud interest meters whirring in their ears and they needed to make quick sales. And this is not the kind of deal that that uh, quick sale is going to happen. You know, this is a patient capital project. If you're going to be successful and realize uh, and realize the value, you have you know the environmental issues that you discussed, and you know we're continuing to to work on the uh, voluntary cleanup down there, um, and then demolition. And you know I could go on at length, although I think it's probably uh, I'll ask to come back on another podcast and talk about HDRC um, and. Um, I'll just park that thought right there, sure. but you, yeah. you know, there, um, there are challenges, you know, to this site, which require time, effort, energy, and vision to overcome and time, effort, energy, and vision, uh, on large real estate projects are achievable when you have the capital, uh, to do those things. So, you know, the primary difference between our approach to this deal and everyone else's was we bought the site in cash with the reserve to cover the soft costs, to do it right, to create the value on the horizontal side. Uh, and then, and as we'll talk about, you know, what's happening now, and then to go out and seek, you know, vertical partners to do the individual uh, pieces uh, to create a great place. But yeah. yeah. So, so I, I definitely want to come back and build on this idea of horizontal versus vertical. Uh, again, I mentioned before the show that the audience, especially for this one, is going to be a big mix of uh, real estate professionals uh, and design professionals who sort of have a previous vocabulary and understanding for how all this works. Uh, but a lot of the audience is going to be, um, you know, teachers and massage therapists and people who live in the neighborhood and everybody who might not have that context. And so kind of unpacking things a little bit more than we might otherwise. I'd like to rewind to something you said about the market not being ready. Um, can you, in a, in a general sense and using Lone Star if you need to, but can you, can you expand on this idea of market readiness and what that means and what it sort of what it looks like on a checklist? Sure. Um, and I do it uh, a little bit wistfully, I, you know, I, I think of myself as, as, um, you know, community minded relationship oriented vision, you know, there are, to me, there are right things that are supposed to happen when you approach a project like this, mm -hmm. those things, <laughs> I wish they could exist in a vacuum. You know, I wish that the right deal could happen 
Um, but there's the reality of, you know, finance and the market being ready. And this is, you know, there's a quote that uh, I attribute to Andres Andahar. And he said when he started in architectural school, it was, you know, form follows function. And by the time he graduated, the rule was form follows finance. And that's where we live now. And it, and I, it sucks. I'm, that's not a great, you know, it's a bummer. Yeah. Like a lot of environment that we all have to uh, navigate every day sucks because form follows finance mm -hmm. and follows finance. And, you know, frankly, one of the biggest challenges to San Antonio and uh, the real estate market here is we, we don't have, you know, the comps, particularly in the emerging urban markets to support new things happening at scale. Yeah. Uh, you know, the great thing about Pearl is that they've got patient capital and are able to build the right thing, you know, at their leisure and create a great urban place. The only bummer thing about Pearl is because it's predominantly Kit's money and he's not selling it. There's no comps produced by that project. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade it, but it is, it's, you know, it's a hindrance to the market in San Antonio um, that, uh, that we don't have uh, institutional capital coming in and buying and trading uh, our office buildings, you know, the new ones, um, our new urban developments, that's just not happening here yet. And that is a challenge to raising money. Mm -hmm. So any big scale investor is going to come into the market and say, I believe in your theory. This all makes sense. I agree the acquisition price is right, but you know, we make our money when we sell something and there's, I don't have all the confidence that, well, I don't have the confidence because I don't have comps. You know, there's nothing that you can point to that proves to me that this works at the other end. Right. So yeah, right. You, you, a, a movie theater and bowling alley look great, you know, on, on a, in a rendering all day long in a news article, but you know, show me that people around here like going to movie theaters and bowling alleys, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, right. Show me the camera, you know? Yeah. Show me. Yeah. Show me what happens at the exit. Um, so, you know, when you talk about market being ready, I mean, that's one, that's a, that's a big, that's a big part of it. Um, the other is, you know, um, and we have seen in Southtown and in the Lone Star area and I by Lone Star area, you know, I mean, I'm including, uh, Lavaca and even Hemisphere, you know, even the public-private stuff, the things at Brooks, the things at Hemisphere, the things, um, you know, uh, Catellus uh, coming in and uh, doing their work there, you know, the Silver guys acquiring the SAISD site across from Hemisphere. You know, we're starting to see large-scale uh, acquisitions. You know, there's plenty of multifamily activity. You've got more, you know, flipping small-scale infill activity. You've got more uh, commercial uh, coming in that's being successful. Um, but you need that at scale uh, to get other investors comfortable uh, coming in. And so, you know, for the prior decade, which was the time that, you know, the other would-be developers of Lone Star came in, there was just way less of that. I mean, even the first guys doing it didn't have the benefit of, of the mission reach being completed or the UNESCO or the great you know, parks, Concepcion, those things happening down there, confluence, you know, none of that stuff was there. You know, the mission power plant hadn't been cleaned up by 
uh, CPS. So you had, you know, there was no San Pedro, San Pedro Creek. You had an absence of both public investment and private investment, which we have a lot more of now. So, you know, that's, that's really what I mean by uh, the market being ready. And that has changed dramatically, you know, in our favor or in the favor of ours being Lone Star. That's changed mm -hmm. dramatically uh, in the past decade. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, so my brain sometimes does funny things with words and I make connections that might not actually be there. But one thing that stands out here is sort of this, this close sounding relationship between opportunity and optimism, right? All of these other things that are happening. Um, I, I bought my property. Up, so I can't remember if I said it uh, during the recording or not, but I'm building a house a few blocks from Lone Star. I bought that when San Pedro Creek got passed, mm -hmm. right? So like knowing and, you know, Blue Star's a few blocks away and all of that coming up, all of this investment equals optimism. And I think that part of that, there's the numbers side, but then there's also a little bit of a heartstrings side, at least with community and investment to say like, okay, there's optimism around this. There's enough people believe in what's happening to mm -hmm to take a risk and make an investment and create more opportunities, kind of a optimism opportunity snowball. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, you guys acquired this site in 2020. Yep. In 2020. Maybe. Um, and so as we are recording this, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, tell us a little bit about the nitty gritty of, of what your vision for this place is i mean is it residential offices uh you know beer joints what do you guys what do you imagine happening here sure um you know we want to create uh an all-day you know the, the go-to phrase now is right a live work play neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, and you know i'll back up and say you know our partner on this project uh, midway company out of houston um are experts and have been building great mixed use, you know, all day, uh, 24 hour live work play uh, neighborhoods um, in urban settings, some with, you know, more on the greenfield side, some on the brownfield, uh, you know, redevelopment side. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're very helpful in guiding um, the creation of these sort of guiding principles for Lone Star. You know, so the question you asked, you know, what do we see here? Um, we see a place that has uh, authenticity, uh, art, connection to history, um, you know, enhanced connections to the San Antonio River. I talked about that. Sustainability, we want it to be a destination. Uh, you know, I earlier talked about, you know, what's interesting about the physical location of Lone Star and its um, relationship to downtown, to Blue Star, to the mission, to the river, is this sort of string of pearls aspects where you have this walkable, pedestrian, active environment um, to get people out of their car. You know, it's the park once, uh, maybe you've come to an ice house at Lone Star, and then you go and you know, take a 20 mile bike ride on the river and visit the missions. And then you come back, um, you're staying at a hotel there, you know, you hear a check in on the concert that's happening, 
Um, and, you know, maybe you drove down from uh, Austin to have this experience, or maybe you drove down from Stone Oak or Terrell Hills, or, you know, or you uh, bike down from your, you know, apartment at, uh, at Hemisphere to check this out. But it creates a launching place uh, to explore another part of San Antonio. Uh, That's cool. And, so, I mean, it really is a, it is a true mixed use development. Sounds like you've got office, um, rental, residential, uh, maybe somebody decides to throw some condos in there. It depends on who your, who your partners are, but yeah. enter, entertain, entertainment, uh, yep. history, uh, food, drinks, all of it. You've got great F and B opportunities. You know, we think, uh, again, a market, uh, for, uh, headquarter, you know, office, you know, again, it's this, you know, as a quick aside, I think one of the good things about uh, COVID's influence on the real estate market in San Antonio has been a push away from um, BCD office being the, you know, an acceptable <laughs> uh, asset class here in town. And, and as, you know, employers need to find ways to uh, encourage uh, entice their workers and their workforce to come back into the office. It means a real, you know, uh, a change in the experience of going to work mm -hmm. and all day, you know, mixed use urban environment um, where you can walk out of your place and have lunch and then go work out and you've got a shower in the office and you come back and, you know, if you're only going to come to the office a couple of days a week, it's got to be worth it. And sure. we think that Lone Star can provide the opportunity to have, you know, that headquarter opportunity uh, for employers that that provides that, and that's not something that exists in this, not just in the submarket, but in very few places in San Antonio. Period. So, um, you know, it's a big, it's a big idea. It's certainly pioneering for this area, and frankly, it's pioneering for uh, for San Antonio. Mm -hmm. But um, we think. You know, again, you know, the other interesting part about a 32 acre site is it's a district, it's a destination. You've got the opportunity to create a real place um, that has its that has its own character and feeling and and is consistent and reflective of what's around it, but is uh, is distinct in its own way. And um, so our vision for Lone Star is all of those things. So, you know, right now we scheduled this interview some weeks ago. Uh, it just so happens that last week an announcement was made. Uh, some news articles were written announcing that the Lone Star is up for sale again. Uh, the subtext of that being, oh, look, uh, another failure. Um, interestingly, as I was looking at these articles, some of them some of them were chose to use images of Lone Star as it is now kind of the, the big, the big picture on the front of the article is, you know, derelict Lone Star. Uh, mm -hmm. Others chose to use some of your beautiful Lake Flato renderings. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned earlier the horizontal nature of this deal and, and specifically what you guys do. So when some of these articles came out and again, with the, especially in the comments and as people are sharing this stuff on social media, it's here we go again, you know, another one in and out, you know, you, you, you lifted us up and you let us down. 
But I think some of us that are in the industry, to some of us in the industry, it it kind of seemed obvious. Like, like at some point you get to this step where on a three quarter of a billion dollar project, you know, unless you've got a billionaire behind you somewhere, a big time billionaire, you're going to have to raise money for this thing somehow. You know, it, 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 it always seemed like the truth to me that this would be sold off and partnered, um, partnered with in different ways to make this thing a reality. And so um, I think that, you know, you've spent some time since that article came out kind of clearing the air with people uh, visiting the neighborhood group and everything. But can you just speak a little bit to the sort of matter of factness of this horizontal deal and how that's what you do? That's what this was always intended to be. If this is not a failure, this is the, this is the next step. So what is this, what is the horizontal and conceptual portion of this that you guys are responsible for? What does that look like? What does it mean? And where does the vertical part and the sale of property come into play? Sure. So, you know, the fundamental difference, um, as I have said, you know, when I attend every month, uh, every month I go to the Lone Star Neighborhood Association uh, meetings and, and, you know, obviously keeping in close contact with our stakeholders and the community is an, is an important um, part of a project like this. You know, you can't, you can't just develop something like this in a, in a vacuum. Um, and it's understanding, you know, that this is, as you said, part of the plan. So, you know, what we do um, at the development side um, is create value for our investors. That sounds, you know, wonky and not very sexy, um, but it's to, you know, add value to the investment. Um, the entity that owns Lone Star is, is a land investment, you know, vehicle on the sort of wonky real estate side. And so every vertical development would be done by a separate um, entity. Uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of nuance there. Obviously, if you're in the real estate business, you, you understand what that means. Um, but, you know, so it looks from the outside like, oh, you know, as you said, oh, here we go again. And, you know, just to go back a little bit, the elephant in the room with, with this project the whole time um, with everybody, with the neighborhood, with the stakeholders, with city staff, I mean, frankly, with everybody. Um, has been, you know, we've heard this story before. We've gotten excited about Lone Star before. Didn't happen. You know, I'm holding my breath before I, you know, or I'm, I'm just not going to get so excited this time about whatever you guys say you're going to do because we've heard this story before. Mm-hmm. I said, what's different about us at the outset, we bought this project in cash uh, with a reserve to cover the soft costs, the pre-development costs, to do the value-add stuff that needed to be done to get it ready for development and have been doing that um, since May of 2020. You know, I mean, it's, as you said, there's a lot of paperwork, um, you know, there's platting, there's civil infrastructure, there's entitlement, there's incentives, there's working with the city on the, uh, the planning um, and hopefully soon execution of the uh, 2017 bond project to improve Lone Star Boulevard and how we contribute to that. There's 
you know, going out and working with the 2022 bond uh, to help expand and improve ProBant. There's, um, you know, the environmental cleanup. And then what we've done that's different from uh, any of the prior groups, um, not just the work on the environmental side, um, but what I kind of call addition by subtraction, and that's the demolition of the buildings out there that really cannot be reused. And, you know, we've done a tremendous amount of work removing uh, structures that just will not serve a purpose going forward mm -hmm. um, and preserving, you know, things like the brew house and the smokestack and a couple of the other interesting uh, warehouse buildings um, that will lend character to the future development, but at the same time, removing the things, you know, that, that can't be reused. And a quick aside about that, um, you know, these buildings, as I said at the beginning, the brewery was built, you know, a building at a time um, from 1933, and they were building, I guess, until the 90s. Um, and it was buildings inside buildings, buildings on top of buildings, buildings over buildings, buildings under buildings, you know, and buildings that were used uh, for things that we don't have a, a need for anymore, you know, housing beer, housing conveyor belts, uh, storage tanks, you know, windowless concrete warehouses built literally by the guys who worked at the brewery for the least amount possible. You know, as you think about, um, uh, as you think about adaptive reuse and how challenging it is, you know, the brew house in particular, I mean, it's like multiple stories, floors that don't line up, windowless facades, you know, every now and then an interesting art deco detail, um, but, you know, None of it built for something that we could use or, sure. or all of it has to be repurposed uh, in a way that is, that is pretty challenging. Um, but we've been spending money and we've been doing the work out there to prepare this site for, uh, for the next step, which is inviting uh, either additional vertical developers uh, in the form, you know, letting them purchase sites outright uh, or partner with us to do the vertical development. You know, we've created the template, the design guidelines, the vision, um, prepared the site. And as you said, now the next step uh, is, is to go find that capital and to find those partners. And, you know, the other interesting thing about uh, COVID and the environment that we're in from a financial standpoint and the real estate market as it stands now, you know, if we were to offer just here's a multifamily site at the corner of Lone Star and the river or an office site or whatever, you know, here's a two acre site market, come and get it. We would attract exactly the kind of specialists who develop office or retail or multifamily sites. Uh, and that's it. Those would be the guys who would show up. Offering a 32 acre entitled site on the San Antonio river um, in San Antonio attracts an entirely different class uh, of investor. Mm -hmm. um, literally from around the world. It, create, it, it attracts the attention of people from all around the world. In, you know, in what is maybe not obvious to folks, but is certainly part of our calculus, is you know, if an international fund shows up, they do not have the wherewithal internally uh, to manage a real estate development project in San Antonio. So what does that mean? More than likely, you know, they continue to work with the partnership of local guys. Mm -hmm. uh, who who know how this market works so we stay you know involved in the deal i mean i you know i think our expectation is um 
that we stay involved. Again, the other interesting thing about us owning the site um, is we are not under an obligation uh, to do anything. You know, this really is an opportunity to, to test uh, the, the market's interest, um, to see who we can attract, how we can make the project move forward. But, and I think this is again, something that's misunderstood about having a listing. Um, it doesn't necessitate that we accept, um, you know, certainly a bad offer or even necessarily a good offer. <laughs> but yeah, right. with that said, we are doing this in the service of our, uh, you know, we do have investors and, and um, uh, so there, you know, there are lots of people whose voices we will, uh, we will hear from uh, as we analyze uh, what offers come. But we're also, you know, as we record this a week into this process. Sure. And one thing I'd like to highlight briefly, if I can, because I mean, we could take this and do a whole uh, series of like case study shows on how how complex these these land deals can get because and you can, feel free to correct me if I'm framing this wrong but what this process basically is is not only creating a concept but creating an actionable an actionable concept with a financially feasible strategy and it's it's hard to again briefly explain to people how much is involved in that in terms of in terms of soft cost um this is where a tremendous amount of investment is made because it involves um not just you know the architects and landscape people who draw the pretty pictures but you've got civil engineering you have to figure out where and how roads um, can be laid out. You've got to figure out utilities and where and how those can be run. Uh, if there's any kind of slope on a site, that changes. I mean, a lot of utility calculation is water. And water likes to move in a particular direction. And if you've got to do anything to overcome that, then you're adding lots of cost. And so there's right-of-ways for the street, negotiations for any public-private uh, elements that may be involved in something, which I, I do believe that there's at least one TERS agreement involved in this project. And so figuring out with the, again, every, everything that's not a building or an individual piece of property, um, who's going to pay for it? Who's going to maintain it? Who's going to, um, who's going to, Who's going to trim the trees, you know, um, and who's going to own it? What are those? What are those rights of way? And what are the contracts and agreements in the long term, perhaps in perpetuity, that that go into managing all that? Um, and then where are the, you know, where are the property lines? What kind of sensible division of a large site like this makes sense so that you even even if somebody comes in and buys the entire 32 acres, 32 acre collection of properties and entitlements, it's got to be broken up in such a way that even that can have an exit strategy and be sold off in smaller pieces or developed as individual pieces of property that can be liquidated um, more easily sometime in the future. So 
all of that is just to stress um, how much how much work and investment and brain power has to go into sort of what you guys have already done. Um, again, to dispel any idea that you know there's that there's somebody somebody else came in, did nothing, and and is and is kind of walking away from the agreement. Um, now let's speak a little bit, if we can just kind of drill into this, not just the TERS, but you, you kind of touched on a couple of, um, public private relationships that are really important to this, uh, involvement in probant involvement in expansions of the San Antonio river. So aside from just the property, can you expand a little bit? on the um, stakeholder pool and how all of that starts to inform decisions and how much of that, I guess more importantly, how much of that is critical to the future of this development? And I guess that speaks directly to the TERS and any stipulations that come with that and timelines and everything else. Sure. Um, I... I'm going to start though with you. You hit on a lot of good points about the complexity of this project um, of a 32-acre, you know, urban mixed-use master plan. Um, and you know, one of the lessons I took away from my time working on a 2,200-acre uh, master plan mixed-use community is this concept that the expedient thing to do. Um, at any given time, you know, and again, so what might be easiest from a market standpoint may be absolutely the wrong thing to do from a long-term value creation standpoint. And with a 32-acre deal, just like a 22-acre deal, you've got to think long-term, you've got to, you know, think that if I plan this correctly, the last piece of property I sell should be worth many times more than the first piece that I sell. And that the cost of holding that you know property the cost of taking utilities to that property um there is a cost benefit analysis that you have to look at for every parcel as you said figuring out how utilities work how roads work um how i mix my uses you know i mean could we as i said earlier just put the corner of lone star boulevard and the san antonio river on the market right now and sell it today for a multifamily site for a tidy profit? Absolutely. That's probably not going to fulfill the long-term, you know, value creation and placemaking um, opportunity that exists with this site and the benefit that you have from, from sort of controlling um, a large, a large piece of property. Do you have to think about, you know, if I start at the very back of the site, then I have to drag you know, utilities and roads all the way through. And, and you know, what if we change our mind on the block layout, you know, over the next decade? And you also have to think in, in you know, time on a project like this, um, you've got to build in flexibility. So, yeah, there's a lot of thinking about that. And for us, one of the, one of the takeaways of what probably didn't work on the prior uh, would-be concepts for Lone Star is not breaking the project up into small enough pieces. 
Um, and so that speaks, you know, I'll jump back now to the to the 380 and TERS agreement that we have. And we took pains um, uh, in working with the uh, working with the city on the creation of this agreement um, to divide the project up into phases um, that would produce independently, you know, the right kind of built environment. So, you know, each phase has a mix of uses. Each phase has an amount of public infrastructure. Each phase has an amount of, you know, built private infrastructure. And then um, you also have to understand that, you know, thinking about the start and stop time of construction on phase three uh, of a 32 acre project, you know, which might be a 10 acre uh, project that is, you know, couple hundred uh, multifamily units and, you know, 10 to 15,000, you know, square feet of retail and perhaps some office, you've got some parking in there and some green space, but you're not going to start building that for 10 years. You know, how do we, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces um, between now and then, you know, how does the market change? You know, maybe the self-driving car revolution has come and great, we don't need to build a parking garage at all in that area. And, you know, how do you have the flexibility to, uh, uh, to change that? Um, also knowing that your council uh, and your staff will have turned over several times, you know, between now and then, I mean, it, um, it really gets tricky. You go into these things knowing that what you've proposed is not exactly what's gonna happen. And that fact is also kind of challenging um, uh, for the city, you know, maybe one of the, one of the hardest things, right, for uh, the public-private partnerships is you are committing to a plan, uh, particularly on a large-scale project, that you know is not actually what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, the intent is there, create a great mixed-use live-work-play environment that, um, uh, you know, that adds value, that creates jobs, it creates, you know, housing and the kind of environment that people want to come to. Um, but it's it's not going to exactly reflect uh, the the beautiful renderings that you know Lake Flato created, and and that's some tension that you just have to uh, have to manage. And and you know so a lot of what I do is spend time um, talking to stakeholders. We talked about that, and and you know working through those through those details. You know it's again interesting. You know Lone Star Boulevard, as I said, is is uh, the improvement there was part of the 2017 bond. Um, that money is, you know, kind of ready, ready to be spent. Um, we're working with staff on how to make sure that project uh, creates the right sort of, uh, you know, I guess modern, you know, transportation corridor that accommodates, you know, people and bikes and cars. Uh, that road right now is, as you said, you know, there's not lights, it's just sort of an asphalt strip. Um, got railroads, that, you know, a uh, couple of railroad crossings, mm -hmm. intersect, got great issues. I mean, it's a really, you know, not great place to walk, bike, uh, or even drive right now. Um, you know, certainly not landscaped. You know, how do we how do we design help the city design build that road in a way that um, that improves it? You know, going forward, and then how does it tie into you know, probant and how do you still address all the truck traffic that's coming in to the industrial sites that surround us? And, you know, hopefully those things will be 
gone by the time all this stuff gets built. But there's a, you know, I just put a lot of ifs, you know, on the sure. table. Um, these things are, these things are tricky. So how do you, or can you, and if so, how do you take this vision that you have uh, while allowing for flexibility as you're selling it to somebody? And how do you build elements of the vision into your entitlements so that whoever buys it at least has a framework for how how they need to execute the work. I guess said differently, is there anything on paper that commits the vision to whoever buys it so that they can't buy the 32 acres and then do whatever they want with it? I mean, is there is there is that codified somehow in this entitlement? process and I guess commitments to the TERS and all that? Um, if you want to, you know, if, so that if future buyer wants, um, whether it's some or all, um, whether they want to, I guess, retain access to some or all of the benefit of the chapter 380, uh, yes. You know, I mean, if somebody showed up and, and uh, bought the whole thing and we exit entirely, um, they probably start from scratch um and you know go and renegotiate everything and could we plan everything you know would they be able to do that yes um okay. you know does that make sense um it wouldn't for me you know i mean i think here again you know i guess the market an interesting way to answer your question is um the value that we've yet that we've added to the site through design planning um, the, the incentive and chapter 380 agreement, um, our work with the stakeholders and community to create buy-in for what we've proposed, uh, that has a lot of value. And, you know, the other side of form follows finance is, you know, sort of time value of money of your investment. Um, it's going to take somebody a lot of time if they want to come and, and redesign this whole thing to reinvent right. the wheel. Um, and, and that's money that they're going to be spending. Um, so, you know, I mean, as a real estate investor, looking at opportunities uh, to add value or to lose value, spending a bunch of money, which can also mean spending a bunch of time doing something I don't have to do, um, is something you have to look very hard at. So, uh, you know, I think one way that we have promoted the idea that people follow this vision is by um, uh, creating something worth executing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, I'll say, so the other part of, again, and this comes back to the phasing, um, it's also to create a plan that can be executed, you know, that does mix sort of the layup, you know, opportunities to do multifamily along Lone Star Boulevard, um, sell some F&B concepts, you know, that front the river, both of those things are in keeping with the vision that we've created for Lone Star, uh, for the Lone Star District. And both of those things um, would work within a, you know, financial framework, a pro forma uh, for somebody who wants to come in and be our partner or, or do it independently. You know, just speaking selfishly, I mean, I certainly hope to be involved 
in this project for uh, for a long time. I mean, it's it's the kind of uh, it's the kind of project that um, feels like a legacy, you know, legacy deal in addition to uh, to San Antonio. I mean, I'm I'm you know sort of the adage that you're not supposed to fall in love with your deals and. I just don't know how or why you would be in this business and follow that. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Uh, I get that it that it makes sense. You should be dispassionate about it, but at the same time, uh, you know, life's too short. What's the point? You know, what's the point of doing things that you're just not not excited about? I mean, I'm super excited about this. Yeah, like I said, when I saw when I saw the news start to come out, um, you know, it looked to me like, you know, the next step the next step moving forward. Um, you know, in, in a broader sort of way, I think one of the, a, a huge solvable problem uh, just in, I mean, culture is a big word. You can just call it local kind of at every scale, but especially the scale of de where development happens, which is a little bit more local is this huge gap in knowledge of um Kind of real estate and finance you know we all i think if i could figure out how to get how to get this subject into primary education so that people grew up understanding the the ground that they're standing on you know mm -hmm. um i think it would be i think it'd be a huge win because so much of the controversy comes from uh, for any particular deal i think comes from just these giant knowledge gaps um and a lot of uh god beyond that um i talked to the leader of the um formerly west side development company now it's called prosper west uh talk to him about this you know their people are sleeping on and in their wealth and and don't even know it you know and so again, how do we, how can we fill these gaps? But that's a different conversation for a different it is, day. But, you know, let me just jump in sure. quickly. And that is, um, I mean, one, I agree a hundred percent. I think the, uh, we have to find a way, I touched earlier on the economic challenges facing district five and, um, you know, this disparity of income around San Antonio and the challenges. I mean, it's all over the place, but the challenges that creates and it exacerbates the us versus them. Um, and by us, it's sort of the neighborhood versus developers. That's the us, that's the us versus them. Sure. You know, we need to have a more constructive way to engage everyday folks, the community in, um, in the, built environment, you know, and, it, and, and people should be empowered um, to participate in shaping the places that they live. Um, I was having this conversation just the other day, you know, thinking about, you know, how do we, how do we look at some of these community investment trusts, neighborhood REITs, you know, what are some mechanisms by which everyday folks can literally participate to the tune of five or $10 a month in investing in the real estate projects that are around them. Yeah. Um, to deciding, you know, okay, we're going to buy a four unit multifamily complex in our neighborhood. You know, it's going to be literally owned by the neighbors. The neighbors are going to participate in talking about rental rates. Um, and, you know, 
it is an incremental way to engage people on the other side of this conversation um, and understand that uh, that there is a way to proactively and positively influence um, what gets built. And uh, we need more of that. I mean, that is a that is a thing uh, that needs that needs to happen. Um, you know, another interesting thing about sort of the the opportunity to uh, engage the community in this project has been through the art, uh, the art community in and around Lone Star. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a sometime photographer. Uh, this project has been a lot of fun. I'm out there, you know, with my camera and drone, uh, sort of cataloging what's happening on a, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week uh, basis. And uh, the nice folks at uh, Doc Space Gallery, Bill Fitzgibbons, who hosts the Lone Star Neighborhood Meetings, hosted a photography exhibit uh, of mine back in September of pictures of the brewery as it, you know, sort of as it was, as we found it. Um, complete with all the amazing, you know, graffiti. Um, Syringes. You know. Yes. I mean, again, we talk about this mixed use uh, place, but, you know, again, from a authenticity standpoint, it's like you have this opportunity, you have this community that is on the site all the time, obviously not with permission. Sure. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, there's a connection to the site from the surrounding community that you don't want to just throw away you know that you want to support and continue and and um that exists for infill projects you know all over the city and you know what are the ways that uh that that can happen and uh it's been a really fun thing to explore at lone star and something that is certainly worth uh exploring as i think about you know advice to give to other folks looking at, at infill projects it's what are some of this these things that seem like challenges that could be opportunities. You know, who's the community that you can engage in your project um, that's already, that's ready to either advocate for you or come out against you? And, you know, how do you change the nature of that, of that conversation? We've been very lucky um, in this, this thing is set here blighted for 25 years that uh, the community is doing a whole lot more advocating for things happening here than than fighting things happening here. And that's certainly not always, not always the case, but sure. um, uh, it's presented an opportunity for us. Well, like we said earlier, um, with opportunity comes optimism. And maybe uh, that's one big difference between a, a, a challenge, the difference between a challenge and an opportunity, uh, perhaps is optimism about what can happen or what can be. Uh, Peter, I've kept you on for a long time. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I think the the message of this interview is that uh, this isn't the end. It's the beginning. Right. Uh, great things to come. Obviously, it's going to be a slow road, as these things tend to be. Um, but this is just the beginning of the story. Maybe we can have you on uh, as it evolves, have you on again a little bit later to talk about how the deals are, how the deals are shaping up. I'd love that. I'd awesome. love that. So as you know, uh, I usually like to ask my guests to uh, give a call to action. Was there anything that you would like to see the audience do or hear or learn or participate in uh, following their uh, listening to this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with the ULI connection and, um, you know, give another shout out. Thank you, ULI San Antonio for um, 
help uh, helping you make uh, the podcast happen. Um, I've been co-chairing, uh, although I'm a little C co-chair because uh, Chris Lazaro, shout out to Chris, is is doing the lion's share of the work with our uh, neighborhood development uh, leadership development class. Um, and uh, I would encourage everybody to go out and learn about ULI um, wherever you live, um, particularly if you're here in San Antonio, find a way to get involved. Again, we should all be shaping and participating um, in the built environment around us. It needs help. It needs work. It needs the input of forward thinking uh, people, whether it's better block activations or, you know, showing up uh, for uh, as unfun as it might be planning or zoning commission meetings to, uh, to, to say yes for things. I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to get people to, uh, to come out and say no uh, to stuff than it is to come out and say yes. I think we often all assume that, mm -hmm. you know, oh, the right thing will happen because it's the right thing. That's not how it, that's not how it often works. So, um, uh, you know, be, be an active participant in the world around you in the built environment. Uh, ULI is a great way to get into that easily and uh, uh, subscribe, uh, you know, hit the like button on Adam's podcast. You'll be glad you did. I've really enjoyed listening to them. The other thing I was going to say is uh, the little topo uh, map on your, on the graphic. Uh, that I, I thought that was really snappy. So it's good looking. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we'll have you on again. And just because you mentioned Chris, um, I think your episode's probably going to air before his, but uh, Chris Lazaro is a guest on the show. I'm recording him. Awesome. Few, I'm yeah, I'm recording with him in a few days. Uh, he is a city planner with the city of San Antonio, also an author. So everybody just uh, keep an eye out for that conversation with Chris coming right behind this one. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Adam. It's been great. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. That's all we've got for today's show, everybody. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, and if you haven't found me already, uh, look me up on Facebook. You can find the show on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I'm not on TikTok yet. Uh, maybe someday. Uh, find me, uh, join the conversation, and let me know if there's anything that you'd like to hear that you haven't heard already. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye.